Are you ready, Ma? I'm ready, Erin. Let's go. Let's go to make them. Alabama? <laughs> Wasn't sure which. I knew it was the South. Not make them Georgia, make them Alabama. Yes. For this black and white movie called? To Kill a Mockingbird. To Kill a Mockingbird. I, I love it. Okay. The particulars. Well, particulars, please. 1962. This is sorry. Was it 62? Wow, it feels okay. <laughs> yeah, TD was making me laugh with um with the text message response. This is live in real time. To Kill a Mockingbird, 1962. Although the movie takes place in the 30s. Yes, and it feels very 30s-ish. It does. It's directed by Robert Mulligan. He also did Summer of 42. The other, same time next year, and The Man in the Moon. It is produced by Alan J. Pacula. Um, he also worked with Robert Mulligan, and then he went on and became a director. And here are a few movies that he directed. Clute, The Parallax View, All the President's Men, mm -hmm. Sophie's Choice, Ooh. Presumed Innocent, and everyone I've told about the brief is dead. The Pelican, the Pelican brief. brief. It is written by Horton Foote, who also wrote Tender Mercies and the plays The Orphan's Home Cycle and The Young Man from Atlanta. So basically what I'm trying to say is that so far this movie is like boom, 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 boom. We yeah. got heavy hitters. Yeah. It's source material is none other by the 1960 published Pulitzer Prize winning novel by Harper Lee entitled To Kill a Mockingbird. Yeah. I mean, if you don't know the movie, the book To Kill a Mockingbird, or you were not shown the movie To Kill a Mockingbird, then you must not have had an education. Maybe you were homeschooled. Yeah, maybe you were homeschooled. That's a really good point. Mm -hmm. Thank you. The music by Elmer Bernstein, he may sound familiar because we ran through his bona fides on the sweet smell of success. Yes, we did. That's right. Another boom. The director of photography... Russell Harland. You may know him from his list of bona fides that we ran through when we did Witness for the Prosecution. Hello. Boom. He also did Blackboard Jungle. Boom. It's narrated by Kim Stanley. She was in Francis and the Right Stuff. So boom, narration is boom. Yeah. It's starring, maybe you've heard of this man, Gregory Peck. He was also in The Yearling, Gentleman's Agreement, Spellbound. Of another um, book that you may have heard of, Moby Dick, The Guns of Navarone, the original <gasps> Cape Fear, and The Boys from Brazil. 
and boom boom i mean boom it also stars mary batham she was in this movie this was her boom and then she was also in dr kilgare and the twilight zone Hmm. and philip alfred this was his boom and he was also in the lloyd bridges show and the virginian Hmm. and then we have joe manga he was in hush hush sweet charlotte a little movie called the godfather part two Smokey and the bandit two and the cannonball run so obviously he became friends with burt reynolds must have and we also have brock peters who is in the i mean this the holy grail the la- what is it the chalice no the holy grail is what everyone is always searching after that's what the crusades were about right right the holy- yeah Grail, which was supposed to be the silver chalice. Right. This is if if there's a holy grail for the podcast, Gone with the Bushes, it would have to be Porgy and Bess, would it not? Yeah, because we can't watch. We it. can. We'll never be able to see it. But Brock Peters, he was in Porgy and Bess. He was Sergeant Brown in Carmen Jones, and he mm-hmm. was Fleet Admiral Cartwright in Star Trek. I don't think it wasn't the original Star Trek. It was one of those other Star Treks. But the people out there who know Star Trek, they know who this guy is. Right. It also had Estelle Evans as Calpurnia, and she was in The Learning Tree and The Clairvoyant. And Colin Wilcox Paxton, she was in The Twilight Zone, Alfred Hitchcock Presents, Columbo, Catch-22, The Autobiography of Miss Jane Pittman. Ooh. We also have James Anderson, who was in Perry Mason and Little Big Man. And this screen debut of a man who I just, I just came out of his latest offering, ladies and gentlemen. Every time you see his face, you know him. You love him. You've seen him in Bullet. You've seen him in True Grit. In The Godfather Part Two. Apocalypse Now, Sling Blade, Lonesome Dove, Network, Falling Down, The Paper, Something to Talk About, The Apostles, Right Now in Theaters, Widows, the film debut, ladies and gentlemen, of Robert Duvall. Robert Duvall. <sighs> Sorry. Yeah. And there are your particulars. Yes. It is a two-hour and maybe about eight-minute movie. It is a universal joint. As the credits are rolling, we're looking at an old cigar box. Great credits. I'm going to jump in real quick here, Ma, and say much like how The Third Man, I would say this is a movie that if you haven't seen it, you should just watch it now. You shouldn't, you shouldn't hear this. You should come back to us after you watch it. This is a movie oh, okay. that needs to be watched, I think. It does. It does. It does. It's a cuz it's a great it's a great movie. It's a great film. I'm telling you, you're gonna I mean, we'll get to things, but yeah. Go watch it. Yes. So we're uh the the camera is panning over the things in a cigarette cigar box. Uh, I used to always get a new cigar box from the drugstore every school year, and that's what I would keep my supplies in, not these plastic things that'll live forever in our dumps. 
a real cigar box that still smelled of tobacco. So when you were watching these opening credits of the child's cigar box, you were looking at it and looking at all that plastic and thinking all that plastic still exists in a landfill somewhere. No, I was thinking of today's what they what children use instead of a cigar box, they use these plastic boxes for their supplies. Ah. And those will be in landfills forever. Ah, no, because yes. I don't know that there was anything plastic in there. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah, it was the thirties. Plastic. Had plastic even been invented then? In the in thirty? Yeah. No, because remember, in the graduate, <laughs> plastic dude saying plastic, son. Yeah, but I'm I'm thinking well. Yeah, true. I mean, this is there. It's the depression, and they're in Alabama. I, do I need to say anything else? And it's hot. It is hot. The little girl named uh, her name is Scout Jean and, Louise, and she, yeah, Jean Louise. But they call her Scout, and she could not be more of a tomboy. She has her hair cut short. She has her overalls on. She uh, she runs around. She calls her father by his first name, Atticus. Okay. I'm going to stop you right there. That's weird to me. And it was so weird to me that I had to Google it. Why does Scout call her dad by his first name? Well, she tells Dill in the movie why she does. Because Jem calls him by his first name. Right. Yeah, but I wanted that that didn't satisfy me. Okay. I wanted what answers. What research did you do? Well, much like a lot of things, I came into it from one direction and then when I and then everybody else was came at it from another direction. Okay. I was like, "Oh, interesting." So to everyone else, the fact that she calls her father by his first name, that was supposed to be because of in the south in manners that they um, if a child was raised, quote, well, and with mm. manners, they would never call their parent by their first name. Mm -hmm. And so because she did, it either meant that Atticus was too busy and didn't notice, which, come on, that's not mm -hmm. true because he, he cared about his kids. Mm -hmm. And it was that he, it was like they were almost kind of leveling the playing field and that it was like a form of closeness that he, they were allowed to call him his by his full name and like as a way of opening up communication hmm. and like you can open up to me and talk to me and stuff which to me I had the opposite response I thought it felt like it was a distance Disrespect. thing yeah yeah and I was like, huh, everybody thinks that that was like, well, people thought it was disrespectful, but for different reasons. Like, apparently theirs was like, oh, they're bad kids and they're disobeying, like, the societal norms. But, I mean, societal norms of 1930s Alabama should be disrespected. And I was coming at it like, oh, that is like, it feels like so cold and stuff. And to me, because... Like, I don't call my parents by their first name, but everybody in our family has a nickname. Nobody gets called in our family by their given name. That's true. And Scout is a nickname. Jem is a nickname. 
So I just thought that it was really weird that they called Atticus by his given name. Yeah. It wasn't necessarily that it, they called him a name that they didn't call him papa or father. It was that they called him by his real name. Because to me, anytime family members call each other by their real name, I think that's weird. Well, they're usually in trouble. Yeah. <laughs> the one time you hear the given name in our household was like, you're about to get in trouble. Well, I thought this is what where my thinking was. They grew up without a mother. And it would have been the mother's job to make sure that they were saying mommy and daddy. And they didn't have that mother. Yeah, but here's the thing. The mom died when Jem was six. Well, maybe he started calling him Atticus at that time because maybe they didn't hear the name Atticus anymore because the mother was dead and nobody else would call him Atticus. So maybe it was Jem's way of keeping his mother alive. Perhaps, but I'm just thinking that it should have. Like, are we sure that Atticus was his real name and that Atticus wasn't a nickname? Oh my gosh, mind blown! No, I'm pretty sure his name was Atticus because oh. the other adults call him Atticus. Oh well, I mean, but I'm surprised that Capernaum didn't didn't take care of that. Well, I'm I'm not in this movie for that reason. I mean, they don't, <laughs> come on, what, are you going to give Calpurnia more lines? Are you going to actually make a, <laughs> a, a well-defined black cast member in this film? Okay. I've got Moving issues. On. So, um, Scout is outside, and Mr. Cunningham comes with some hickory nuts for, for her father. And so she calls um, Atticus out, and he thanks him. And it's payment for services rendered because evidently Mr. Cunningham had a little legal problem and he doesn't have any money to pay. And so he's paying him in uh, whatever foodstuffs he can give. And today it's hickory nuts. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, Jem is in a treehouse and Atticus is about to walk to work. And um, Atticus... Uh, Jem isn't going to come out of the treehouse to eat his breakfast until Atticus says he'll play in the a football game. Is it a football game? Yeah, it's a football game. Okay, so it's there's Alabama. A... I mean, they roll tide. Okay, so um, they see a new kid in the Cabbage Patch, just like a Cabbage Patch doll. Uh, Deal is in the Cabbage Patch. Well, he's got Freddie Mercury teeth. He does indeed. He's a He's a skinny little kid, and um, so he. They say he's their wearing seersucker shorts. Yeah, he, <laughs> there was a lot of seersucker. I loved I wrote it. that down at some point. Loved it. Loved the seersucker. A lot of seersucker. And um, Scout is saying that their mama's dead, and Dill is saying that he doesn't have a daddy. So they have that in common. And then Jem is telling Dill, "Don't go near that house." The meanest man who ever took a breath of life it lives in that house. And they have a boy named Boo. And they keep him chained to a bed. And he can only come out at night. <laughs> oh, man. Damn. <laughs> at this point, the uh, Dill's aunt comes over. And I think she's Mrs. Kravitz. Oh, 
I only know Mrs. Kravitz is just nosy, and it's from a TV show. Bewitched. Ah. And I'm pretty sure she's Mrs. Kravitz. And she comes over, and she tells the truth about Bo, Boo, how... Uh, he he stabbed his daddy in the leg with scissors one time, so they took him to jail, and they kept him locked up in the jail, and then they brought him home, and that's why he, he only comes out at night. Yeah, it was real weird. He was sitting there. I, like, in my mind, somehow I had it translated, and I'm sure this is wrong, but that he was cutting out coupons or something. And he was cutting out something from the newspaper. Cutting out I don't think something. It was and his dad walks by and he just takes the scissors and stabs him in the leg. And I'm like, I'm, I'm just going to go out here on a limb and say that his dad is a son of a bitch. Well, they already said meanest man to ever draw breath. And so then they take him, they take him to the courthouse and they chain him up in the bottom of the courthouse. A kid. <laughs> or maybe not a kid, but he's... He's a minor. He's under 18. He was a kid at that time. Then you just chain him into the courthouse. They're like, we don't know what to do. Let's chain him into the courthouse. And then what happened where they like un- had to unchain him? Something there happened. There was something. I didn't go into all the details because I want to leave the our listeners with something to watch right, when, right. when they're watching. All right. True, true. All right. Cool. Moving on. Moving on. So the kids are, are on the sidewalk ready to meet Atticus who comes home from lunch. And then there's a mean lady who sits on her on her porch. Oh, she's so mean and old. She's got a Confederate pistol. And she's super racist. She reminded me of the old lady in our neighborhood. Yeah, with the the tinfoil on her window. Yeah, and she put out, like, stumps on her. It was like Heart of Darkness, Joseph Conrad shit that this lady was doing. I totally expected her at some point to have a necklace of human teeth around her neck. And she, she called the kids riding by on bicycles drug dealers all the time. Well, (laughs) that's what she called us. Well, that's true. And we know why. So this lady is Mrs. DeBose. And uh, actually, Atticus stops and and charms her. He just talks with her very nicely. She's distracting him so so that she forgets to be mean. Okay, now it's nighttime. At this point, I have seen three people of color. Yes, we have. We've seen Calprenia who is the maid of the Finches. We have seen the woman who was sitting behind the oldest Confederate widow who was about to tell all. And who was the third? I don't know. I just wrote a two down. Oh. Okay. Okay. So, it's nighttime, and Scout is reading to Atticus. And then Atticus says, you know, Scott, I really want you to leave the Radleys alone. And um, then uh, Scout is seeing the father's pocket watch. And it has been said that Jim gets that pocket watch when Atticus dies. And so she's like, well, why don't I get nothing? And he goes, well, I've set aside a pearl necklace and a ring that were, that were your mother's. If you saw a scout, it would be like, what am I going to do with a pearl necklace? Anyway, then uh, Atticus goes outside to sit on the swing on the porch. It's so hot 
But he had a sweater on. Oh, yeah, that's right. Well, that's how cool, calm, and collected Atticus Finch is. Damn. Even in an Alabama summer heat, he can be on the front porch in a wool sweater. Yeah. Well, Scout is asking Jim questions about Mama, and Atticus is just listening. Well, as he's sitting there on the porch... Uh, the judge, is it the judge or it's the, the sheriff? Judge. I believe it is the judge. I thought it was the judge. And he goes, uh, Atticus, we got this guy, Tom Robinson. And the grand jury's going to charge him tomorrow. So I would like to appoint you to be in charge of his case. Well, everybody's heard of Tom Robinson in the case. So Atticus already knows it's going to be a hot button issue. But he says he'll take it. And um, the next day, Dill and Jim and Scout, are uh, they have an old tire. And what you do is you get inside the old tire and you roll the tire. And then it's, I just can't even imagine how sick I would be at the end of that ride. I gotta say, this is one of my favorite scenes in the film. Because... That is kid ingenuity. That looks like so much fun. That is something that kids these days would love to do, but their parents would never let them do. Never allow that to happen. Be- look at the fun of that. It was. It would make sense. That's kids using their noggins. Kids, you don't need these screens, these games and stuff. All you need is your mind and your imagination, and you can make anything a death trap. Now, yeah. that looked like so much fun. I'm like, my brother would do that unscathed. In a minute, minute, he would be unscathed. I would be scared (laughs) to do it because I would wonder, well, it seems fun, but how's it going to end? I was playing, always playing the long game, and I did not see this ending very well for myself. I'm just going to tell you, kids, you couldn't wear a helmet inside that tire, so... Yeah, that's what made it so much fun. That you know, that's something my dad probably did. He'd probably be like, I did that. And that was fun. So they roll the tire and they roll uh with Scout in it and it goes farther than they expected and she bumps into the Radley's front porch. And not only though does she bump into it, she bumps into it, pops out unscathed. Unscathed, whereas Aaron would have needed stitches somewhere. I would have needed stitches. And I got to say, from a filmmaking standpoint, this it looks fantastic. I went back to watching slow motion because at first I thought, this is 1962. It's Hollywood. I've heard stories. Did they really put that little girl in the wheel? They really did, didn't they? I don't know, but... The thing, it wasn't so much the wheel. I could see them putting her in the wheel, but it was when she crashes. So I went back to look at it. I don't know. You don't see her face. So it very easily could have been a stunt double, but it does match up great. But it, it I don't know. It kind of tripped me out because I was like, they couldn't have just put her in and just roll her into the steps because how are they going to know? Like, did they do the math and figure out the rotations? I don't think they did that. 
so like okay we have to roll her here and then by that rotation then she will be able when she hits the step she'll be upright and can just pop out did they go I was it a nash was that. it a nasa mission like i'm making it out to be or i don't know you can't tell because and you never see your face so it could be a stunt double but well, it's great. i know that there was some point where she really was in that tire because Jem and scout on set didn't get along and he put her in that tire one time and rolled her and made her hit something really hard <sighs> i wonder if robert mulligan was like damn it Jem." You should have done that when I had a camera on her. I don't know. Interesting. Well, anywhere, everybody knew not to go anywhere near the Radley's house. She pops out. So Jim runs to, to get her. And uh, Dill had had put a, um, a um, thing to Jem where he he dared him a dare to Jem where <laughs> that he wouldn't go up on the porch and hit the front door so Jem as he's over there getting scout runs up on the front porch hits the front door and they hightail it out of town okay <laughs> they run for their lives they, they hightail they... it out of town <laughs> <laughs> Dill is the one who gets him in trouble all the time Dill yeah. is the one with all these ideas and he goes, let's go to the courthouse to see where Boo Radley was kept, where he was chained up. So Scout is going, Daddy won't like that. Daddy doesn't want us going to the courthouse. But then Jim is like, oh, if you're too afraid, don't go with this. Uh, so they go to the courthouse. And um, the kids, the people were saying to him, hey, your daddy, your daddy, isn't here i saw your daddy with a colored man and then you they're taking the colored man away well atticus comes out another door and sees them and he is very upset with them yeah they're little they kids in the courthouse what are you doing in the courthouse you they look like they're little uh hooligans they're not wearing their they're, there's no seersuck only the seersucker shorts on the man is allowed in the courthouse. They are not dressed appropriately to be seen in the courthouse. No, they are not. And quite frankly, the courthouse is full of adult things and their children, and they should be out enjoying their summer. This is what Atticus is thinking. Yeah, because at this point, Mr. Ewell comes up and goes, Atticus, my daughter was raped. Yeah, and at which and point... So Atticus says, well, I will defend Tom Robinson. Mr. Yule didn't want Atticus defending the person who raped his daughter. Yeah, and I, I think by now we've already heard a couple N-words out of Mr. Yule. So I'm sure we have. We're, we're pretty much like, all right, this Mr. Yule guy can go fuck off. Oh, he's nasty. Yeah. Well, now it's evening. And Dill decides it would be a good idea. Dill and his ideas. And look in the Radley's windows. See if they can get a look at Boo. Just just leave the poor man alone. Atticus has already asked them, just leave those poor people alone. But no, they go, they go around back, and they have to crawl under a fence to get into the backyard of the Radleys. But to be fair to them, they are kids. And it is Alabama, and it's the summertime. What else are they going to do? 
There was absolutely nothing. I mean, else there's to do. nothing to. They don't have TV. They had nothing. Like I don't. Is the radio even on during the? But then you're just sitting there. It's hot inside. You gotta be outside. You it's know. hot outside. I mean, look. They've already. Like they've already d- gone to their equivalent of Six Flags, which was a tire. So, <laughs> <That's right. laughs> you know, what else are they supposed to do? Okay, well, because Dell is the oldest one, I guess, he creeps up to the back porch. He's peeking in a window when you see this huge shadow behind him. Oh, great. Great cinematography. And this huge hand is reaching down to Jim. Was it a hand? I thought it was a mitt. It was huge. Huge hand. And then all of a sudden, and and then you see Scout and you see Dill, and they have a look of horror on their faces. And then they just hide their eyes. They don't want to see Jem torn limb from limb. They They don't want to see the blood. They They know at that young age that there are some things that you can't unsee. And Scout seeing Jem's arm yanked out of the socket is one of those things that she'll never get over. And they don't know about therapy back then. And then the shadow just walks away. Nobody gets hurt. They look at each other and they run for their lives. (laughs) They run under the fence. Jem is the last one. He gets caught. His overalls get caught. And he can't get loose. And he's got to get out of there. So he comes out of his overalls and they hightail it home. I got a question. I got a question. Now, I know it's the 1930s, I know it's Alabama, I know it's the Great Depression, I know they're kids. It just seems like kids' outer attire of summer playing as overalls seems very hot and very constrictive. Now, maybe that's just coming from somebody who as a child was on the husky side of things. So... I did not enjoy overalls because I felt like they were a, a torso straight jacket. They were constrictive. <laughs> Very constrictive on my thick thighs and my round torso. I was never comfortable in overalls. They were adorable. And then to go to the bathroom, it's like, I mean, all like. The problem is, is that when you take off the overalls and they all go down you and you hear the sound, you think, my God, that's heavy. <laughs> Why am I wearing so much thick material? Oh, I'm going to go with, do you just want to leave it there or do you want to hear my input? No, Cause, you go. Because that was, that was funny. I'd like to hear your input because okay, it made well, no remember, sense to me. Gem and Scout were, were on the extremely slender side. Mm. So, and I'm pretty sure that Jem's overalls were, no, Scout's overalls were Jem's a couple years ago. Yeah, and she grew because she was, like, ready for the flood. Yeah, they were, they were definitely high water. And, see, overalls, you, you couldn't destroy them. That denim, so people had to buy stuff that would last forever because there wasn't money to go and buy. He couldn't have had on seersucker pants. Yeah, he, They would have had to buy 
five pairs of your sucker pants to get through one summer. Yeah. And then Scout couldn't have inherited any of them. I get I get the utility, and then you don't have to, because then as they get bigger, you just let it out tall-wise. You don't have to worry about, like, with the straps, pants, the, the straps waist. are what made them longer and longer till they yeah. couldn't anymore. Because you didn't have to, they were just, like, boxy, so you didn't really have to worry about the waist, because, like you said, they were slender. Yeah. I get it. Yeah. Must be nice. <sighs> That's my take. Okay, so, at this point, I wrote, Dill or Dell? Dill. Jim or Jim? Jim. Because, again, we're talking about um, Alabama. And so it could be that he was Dell and they were calling him Dill. And it could be he was Jim and they were calling him Jam. But then I saw it written and it was Dill, like a Dill pickle, and Jim, like a gemstone. Oh, after the first like scene of dialogue, I hit pause and put on the closed caption. I'm like, oh, <laughs> this is Alabama. <laughs> I'm going to need the closed caption for this one. Oh, that's And funny. so I knew. I was like, ah, Jem, Dill, got it. Okay, at this point, the aunt, Gladys Kravitz, was calling Dill in because it was time for him to come in. And Jem went back for his pants. And Scout was like, no, you can't go back. Don't go back. He goes, I can't go in the house without pants. <laughs> so like, I can't face Atticus without my pants. And I was like, Jem's got a point. <laughs> he had a point. So Atticus is calling him. And and Jem is Jim goes back. And, and Scout doesn't want to go in the house without Jem because they had each other's backs. And then you hear... <gasps> A gunshot. And I'm like, son of a bitch. You know, this is what I'm thinking right here. Because earlier, the first time I see Jem, I'm looking at him and I, I don't like the kid. And the reason I don't like the kid is because I think he looks like he grew up to play shooting guard for the Duke Blue Devils. And I don't like the Duke Blue Devils. <laughs> so I was like, I don't like this kid. Does he look like a shooting guard? That you know on the Blue Devils? Or you just thought he looked like he would grow up to be that? He he kind of re reminded me of Grayson Allen as a little kid. And I instantly was like, I don't like this right. gem kid. But then by this time, he because he had had his sister's back and stuff, I was kind of warming to him. And then I was like, are you kidding me? They just went and killed the brother? And then we had hardly gotten into the movie at this point. Yeah. And I'm like, is this the kind of movie it is? Because I, I've read the book, but that was a long time ago. And I saw the movie and that was a long time ago. And you hear dogs barking and you see Scout with another horrified look on her face. Well, Jim comes back. He's got his pants. And... Aunt Stephanie is outside yelling, and there's a there's a, a single female oh, who yeah. is outside. There and and Atticus are in the Radley front yard, and they're all talking. It, it, well, appear apparently Mr. Radley was shooting at a prowler. Oh, now what? Pro what? Who's gonna want to? But. 
see, that's why Atticus said stay away from them. He's going to shoot. It's not like somebody's trying to get in and steal anything. There was nothing to steal. But people wouldn't leave him alone. Yeah, people wouldn't leave him alone. And, you know, this is 1932 Alabama. And people are very quick to um, assign blame to a certain group of people and say that they're all a bunch of rapists and criminals. And so they feel they have like guns. And if they hear anything that sounds like somebody entering their property, they have been told and conditioned to think that the revolution is starting and they have to shoot at the prowler. So, and people are always messing with the rallies. So they're just on high alert. They're very scared and they're very trigger happy. I mean, we have a man. Let's not forget that this is a town that currently has a black man arrested and going on trial for raping a white woman. Yeah. So this town, I think it's fair to say, is on a little, is on edge right now. Exactly. It's, I mean, go back in your history books and read about it. Well, you don't have to. Watch what's happening today. Yes, this is this is true, but, you know. Okay, it's the next morning. Mrs. Morty is there. Mrs. Morty's the neighbor. Awful early, Mrs. Morty. Yeah, she came over to see if Jean Louise was ready for her first day of school. Hmm. Mrs. Morty had on a leopard print dress. I'm just saying, Mrs. Morty's single, and Atticus Finch is single. Mrs. Morty is in, yeah, she is, um, I was going to say she's in heat, but I guess that's kind of sexist to say. Yeah, I would say Mrs. Morty is, she's looking around at the town of, what is it, Malcolm? Maycomb. Maycomb, Alabama, and she sees Atticus Finch. He's middle-aged. He's a lawyer. He's single. He lives next door. Who on the eyes? Yeah. Who around town? He's probably the catch, honestly. Maybe the state, but definitely the county. Oh, yeah. So, you know, she's putting in her work. However, he is defending a black man for raping a white woman. So that takes some points off. But <sighs> she seems okay with that. Calpurnia is calling Scout to come out and eat, eat her breakfast. She comes out and she has a dress on. I felt so bad for Scout. And I wrote, she's as happy to wear a dress as Aaron. But look at the dress. Look at that material. Look at the collar. And also, think about this. She's been wearing overalls. Now she has to go in a dress. Did you see how pale her little legs were? She's going to be freezing her tukis off. It's Alabama, September. Yeah, but, but her body has been used to wearing a basically a potato sack all summer long. <laughs> well, she said she doesn't see why she has to wear a dumb old dress. I'm with her. And Jim is laughing at her, and they, they tell Jim to stop it. Well, then you see 
the schoolyard and Scout is beating the heck out of a little boy. Oh, it's just beating the shit out of him. Yeah, she, he, she really is. And um, they pull, Jim has to pull Scout off, of course. And Scout says she was just trying to explain to the teacher why Walter Cunningham doesn't have any money for lunch. <laughs> Scout, why are you airing all the kids' business out there like that? <laughs> it's basically what Jim is saying as he's holding her back. Yeah. So uh, they go home for dinner, and Jim is saying how he wants a gun. Well, and Atticus is oh. telling a story about his first gun. And Atticus says it's a sin to kill a mockingbird. Well, didn't they bring home the kid? They brought home Walter Cunningham. Yeah, they brought home Walter Cunningham. Cause, cause... Because obviously he didn't have any money for food. He hasn't eaten food in a long time. And Walter is happy to be sitting at that table. Oh, yeah. And then Walter asked Calpurnia for... Oh, well, Walter doesn't ask Calpurnia. Walter asks if they have syrup. And um, Atticus asked Calpurnia to bring in the syrup. Because, again, this is like the Depression. So you know, like, syrup, that's a luxury. Right. And Walter pours it all over all his food. And Scout just has to open her mouth and be like, what the hell are you doing? And, <laughs> and Atticus is like, Scout, that's rude to our guests. And then Scout take, and then Calpurnia takes Scout into the back. So you know that Calpurnia would have told Scout to That's call her saying. father like by that, so you know that they they call Atticus Atticus because he wants them to call them that. Yeah. Um. And yeah, Calpurnius says, "Look, he's your guest, and you let people you you know you let your guests do what they want." And she has other words of wisdom too, because you yeah. know she's Calpurnia, and that's her role in this. She's That's lucky right. she got uh, lines. Yeah. Well. Um, Atticus was saying how he could kill crows and he could shoot at um, blue jays, but you could never kill a mockingbird because mockingbirds don't do anything except give us the pleasure of their songs. You have to know that because to kill a mockingbird is the name of the movie. Yeah, right. So you're like, ah, so if you kill a mockingbird, that is a huge sin. Because mockingbirds don't do anything but just sing. And then you're like, well, why does the cage bird sing? And then they're like, my angel's like, hold on. I got you covered. Just give me a few years. Exactly. Exactly. Like, ah. So then I guess it's nighttime. And I guess Scout is telling Atticus that teacher said that Atticus is teaching her the wrong way to read. <laughs> And Atticus doesn't say, note to all you parents out there, Atticus doesn't say your teacher is an idiot and don't listen to her. Even yeah, though I'm going to go, I'm gonna go write your teacher an email yeah. right now to tell her that she does not tell me I'm wrong or tell my child they are wrong. She is wrong. The teacher is wrong. You don't ever have to listen to that teacher again. He does not do that. He just listens. And what does he do? Knock. He teaches her the word compromise. 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 Too bad Donald doesn't listen to this podcast. Compromise. So, because Scout said, there's no reason for me to go, to go back to school. Teacher says, you're teaching me wrong, but you're teaching me how to read. Why do I have to go to school? Scout's got a point. She is six years old and she knows how to read. 
I could not say the same. No, and you wouldn't let me help you. <laughs> so um, the compromise is Scout will go to school, and Atticus and Scout will keep reading at home. Boom, everyone wins. Well, the next scene is the next day. There is a rabid dog in the road. Oh, this was sad. But the dog was so sick. It was rabid. It was like, yeah, I, I go, that's where Mad Dog came from. Yes. Dogs that have rabies. Yeah, and they go mad. So Calpurnia gets the kids inside. She calls Atticus, and um, I guess the sheriff drives Atticus home, and um, they bring a rifle out, and they give it to Hank, and Hank goes, uh, shoot, I can't shoot this thing. Atticus is the best shot in the county. Yeah. So they give Atticus the gun, and Jem's eyes are huge because he can't believe his daddy's going to shoot a gun. And Hank goes, your daddy's the best shot in this town. So Atticus has to shoot the dog. Now, but was they, Atticus in World War One? 39, 18, that's 20 years. But he was he middle-aged, yeah. Because that's what I wondered, you know, upon seeing this older, I was like, oh, was Atticus in the Great War? Maybe that's where Atticus... Because sometimes you do wonder how people who come from a small town with where you grew up with small town views, how they have a bigger view of the world than those around them. So maybe, yeah, maybe that's where he got his bigger yeah. view of the world. And sometimes they just go to the library and read books. That's true, too. <laughs> they There's, don't have there are to... people who just educate themselves. Yeah, they just go, oh, and they read one book and they're like, oh, yeah, there's a whole world out there. But no, because obviously he went to law school. He didn't go to law school in Macomb, Alabama. So he's, he had to be, go somewhere and be somewhere. It's just how good he was at shooting It made and how much he didn't. Because he didn't want to shoot the dog. He didn't. And, they and said he wanted were, it to be a clean shot, so he killed the dog on the first shot. Right. He didn't hurt it. And he doesn't want Jem to have a gun, even though he had had a gun. And he's right. like, and he said those are different. These were those are different times, and that made me laugh because yeah. I'm just like, man, 1932. These are the times that people say now are the different times. But it, so it just made me think that he had seen war. Yeah. And I was like, I wonder if yeah. he was in the Great War. He also knew his way around that gun too. Yeah, exactly. I mean, he was an <coughs> expert marksman. Well, now it's eve. Well, and and another important thing, Atticus said, "Children, that dog is just as deadly dead as it was when it was alive. Stay away from it." Well, yeah, because he knew that it had rabies, and he knew his kids were gonna go and like be poking around at the carcass yeah. of the dog because, like, we think, "Oh, that's disgusting," but that's entertainment for them. That's there was their YouTube. To play with. They had to, you know, everyone's like, oh, the kids, the internet, the things they'll see. And this was their, oh, ugh, the things they'll see. Basically, I'm saying kids are always going to be wanting to see the things that they're not supposed to see. Yep. They will gravitate toward them. Mm -hmm. Okay, it's evening, and Atticus says he has to drive over to see Helen Robinson, the wife of Tom Robinson. And the kids climb in. 
So they get to the little shanty. Well, the kids come in because Atticus lays down the ground rules. He says, I don't want to hear about it if you get tired. And they're, you know, like, you're going to get tired. I don't want to hear about it. Don't make me, like, have to leave and come in and complain. And I was like, man, Atticus, you got them. Damn, let them call you Atticus. Sounds like sounds like you're fine. Yeah. Okay, you can come with me, but. But, and then you're like, all right. Well, we get to the little shanty, and there are three people of color. There are two kids and one older man. And Atticus walks up the steps. He says hello to David. The older man goes in to get Helen. But he doesn't speak to the other. I think he speaks to the other kid, but he doesn't call him by name. Well, Atticus is inside. Scout has fallen asleep in the car. Jem is in the back seat. And who slinks up behind the car? Oh, hell no. Drunk Mr. Yule. That racist motherfucker. So Jim tells David, go in my in the house and tell my daddy to come out. So he didn't say Atticus there. He called him my daddy. So Atticus and, comes out, and he and Mr. Yule just stare at each other. And finally, Mr. Yule slinks away. No, he doesn't. Oh, he does. Oh, is that? Oh, he spits in his face. No, he doesn't. Oh, what happens, Aaron? He, I don't remember, but. But basically, like, you know, they have a, you know, there's oh, some N-words. Oh, a lot of ugly things. Yeah, there's some N-words thrown yeah. about. Because he's defending that N-word. Yeah, and so Atticus gets in the car, and he leaves. And Yule is still there, drunk. Yeah. And that's, this is a scene, I'm sorry for these, I'm gonna, I want to come up with a thing. I'm gonna call them, like, the reheats. And these are scenes which age badly, like yeah. dogs' hips, things, bad wine. These are bad yeah. reheats. Like you get yeah. a nice salad. How are you going to reheat that? It's yeah. not going to yeah. work. This is bad a bad reheat. reheat. He, Atticus Finch has gone to visit Tom Robinson's wife. He is confronted. The drunk man comes to the town. Or to there. He gets in his car with his kids and he leaves. He leaves a woman and her two kids with a drunk racist in their front yard. Yeah. I'm like, what the hell, dude? This is a bad look. You should at least make sure that he should. He left the property before you left. Yeah. I You're felt just, like that too. Yeah. I was like, ooh. That, that's something that I didn't catch the first time around. I was like, my age, this, yeah. this is it not... It was uncomfortable. This is, I don't <laughs> like this. I don't like this in the movie, guys. Yeah. But it's 1962. That's what so you have Atticus to do with these So tells movies. Jim, there's no need to be afraid of him, son. He's all bluff. Uh, and you're going to hear a lot of ugly things in this world. So he gets home and he says, Jim, stay with Scout. I'm going to drive Calpurnia home. At least he drove Calpurnia home that night. So she wouldn't run into him on the road. Yeah. And I think the, the older man was still there with Helen. Okay. It was an older man at the house. Yeah. So Jim is sitting on the front porch. He hears this screech owl. 
he hears noises and he is scared. So he starts to run after the father's car, but he realizes he can't catch it when he's right in front of the Radley's house. And there's this big tree on their property and it's got a big knot hole in it. And he looks in the hole and there's a, a ribbon hanging out with a metal attached to it. And he runs home. At this point, the narrator comes in. The narrator is speaking as Scout, as an older Scout. Don't you think and that, did Scout remind you of Sandra Bullock? Like, I'm like, oh, that, I feel like if, like, young Sandra Bullock could have been a young Scout. I didn't even think of that. Oh, I, they have, like, the same kind of, like, you know, their eyes are kind of similar. Oh, okay. And hair color. So we hear the narrator saying, Cecil Jacobs was the next person to make me fight because he said the N-word. And Atticus said, I forbid you to fight. Um, but she was defending a Negro. And something about high talk, I shouldn't defend. I shouldn't de <laughs> so then she goes, well, what? I shouldn't defend a Negro? Uh, why? And um, she goes, you're defending a Negro. Why can't I defend a Negro? And Atticus goes, if I didn't, I couldn't help hold my head up in this town. You're going to hear a lot of ugly talk, Scout, but there are to be no more fights. Okay. Um, next day, Jem walks by the knot hole in the tree and finds two carved people carved out of soap. One is a boy and one's a girl. Yeah, one because they wear their hair the same. One is Jem and one is Scout. And then he gets them out, and the next thing he knows, Mr. Radley's out there cementing up that hole in that tree. Right in front of him. They they literally took out the soap carvings, and Mr. Radley comes out with the cement. And I'm like, man, like, people in the 1930s, they just they had everything that they just needed. Cement, I got it right here. I know how to mix it, and I know how to put it in the tree. And I'm thinking, is is that good for the tree? They Didn't just matter. Put cement in there. Didn't matter. He was going to put an end to this communication that was happening. Okay. Well, Jim puts the two people in the cigar box. Scout comes in, and sees the cigar box. And Jim saying he found all those things in the tree. And he said, something else I didn't tell you. You know that day that we we ran up at the at the Radleys and my pants got stuck on the fence? And they were a, a mangled mess in that fence. But when I went back, they were nice and folded and just hanging on the top of the fence. What? Hmm. Well, it has been a whole school year because now school is over. They played Alice Cooper. School's out. Psych. Not it really. wasn't written And yet. Dill comes to the door. Dill's back. He's back in town, baby. Dill's back in town, which means trouble is going to happen. <laughs> and the sheriff brought Tom Robinson to the jail for the trial. That's going to start tomorrow. Yeah, because they, they, uh, they're housing old Tom Robinson. Wasn't he somewhere in the county? Cause, he you was know, far away. You may have heard the term lynch mobs. They were real. And that's why Tom was not in the jail because lynch mobs. 
So uh, it's nighttime and Hank knocks on the door. He says, Tom's in the, in, you know, in our city jail and there's going to be trouble from the bunch. So Atticus asks Cal if she can stay for the night. And she says, yes, sir. Like she has a choice. And uh, Scout finds Jim putting his clothes on. And, and she, because he had his jammies on. And she's Whoa. like, what are you doing? Atticus also, when he walks out, he's carrying a lamp. He's carrying a lamp and, and a book. And you're mm-hmm. like, wow, what is this guy up to? I know. I thought, wow, is there a gun concealed in that lamp or something? <laughs> I did. Well, the three kids sneak into town. And they go by the jail, and there is Atticus on the back stoop of the jail with his lamp plugged in, extension cord going in the in the out in through the outlet inside. He's got a chair and a book. I'm like, my man, he is practical. This guy is a man who knows efficiency. He thinks things through. And he's not going to sit there and just, you know, twiddle his thumbs. Yeah. He's going to read. I'm going to read. Let me get through this book. Well, four cars come rumbling into town, and there are about 12 men with rifles that come up to the stoop, and they ask Atticus, is he in there? Atticus says he's asleep. Don't wake him. Turn right around and go back home. And um, they go, well, you know, Sheriff Tate is out looking for us. Uh, We... We gave some misinformation. So he's out there looking for us. So Sheriff Tate in here to save you. From this lynch mob. It's a lynch mob, Ma. It's a lynch mob. Well, the three kids run through the crowd and run up to Atticus. Oh, it's a great shot, too, because it goes the camera's point of view going through the legs because it's the kid's point of view. And they get to they get up to Atticus, and Atticus is looking down at them, and he's 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 mad and he's scared. Because yeah. it's a lynch mob. All these guys want to do is take this black man and go hang him. And his kids are here now. And he doesn't want his kids to see it. And he also, you know, now he has to worry about his kids' safety. And that could put him in a compromise because of his military training. He knows this. <laughs> so they're standing up there on the on the stoop. And Scout says, hey, Mr. Cunningham. Oh, well, wait, wait. One of my, my favorite parts, the Ooh. Atticus tells Jem, he's like, no, you know, Jem, you take Scout and Dill and get out of here. And Jem's like, looks at the lynch mob. He's like, no. And he was, he goes, son, I need you to, to leave it. And, and he got in and Atticus steps to Jem and Jem's like, no, sir, I'm not leaving. I'm like, man, Jem is ride or die. Yeah. Because he knows that the, these are grown men. He knows what t- what the temperature is. He's like, nah, I might be the only way they, they don't kill you too, Pa. Yeah, and and they all have guns, and his father has a lamp. He's like, I'm a little white boy. I, let, let me do this for you, Pa. So Atticus goes, well, all right. And then Scout goes, hey, Mr. Cunningham. Hey, you brought us hickory nuts that one time. I go to school with your son, Walter. And she starts talking about Walter and why she likes Walter. And then she goes, Mr. Cunningham, entailments are bad. Sometimes it takes a long time. 
I sure meant no harm. I think that was when she beat up Walter. And Oh no, um, it was because because as soon as she points him out, because from the, the very first scene when he brought her the hickory nuts, he didn't he wanted to just leave them. He didn't want to face Atticus. And so Scout made a whole deal of going to get Atticus. And so in that first scene, um, he, you know, he was like, all right, you know, bye. And Atticus says to Scout, you know, next time he comes, Mr. Cunningham comes by, don't, you know, don't get me or anything. And he's like, I think that make that thanking him makes him feel embarrassed, which it wasn't the thanking him that made him feel embarrassed. It was the fact that he had to, that he didn't have the money and he had to pay with nuts because he couldn't afford. So he felt, he felt, you know, shameful for not being able to, to pay the money because he had his pride. <coughs> and so True. then when they're at the, the lynch mob and, um, she's like, Oh, Mr. Cunningham, like he instantly gets that, you know, his pride is hurt and stuff. And he, cause here he is, you know, he's this big bad man that wants to like bring him out, you know? And then this little girl is kind of just putting him in his place and reminding him of the kindness that her father has shown him by do working, doing work on his behalf when he doesn't even have the means to pay him and to, and taking his like nuts. Like what's this guy going to do with nuts, you know? But he takes it because that's all that he can give and he's fine with it because he's a decent man. And so then and then he brings up Walter and he knows that he can't feed his kids. And so he feels bad about that, too. And he's and she's like, oh, I go to school, with Walter. And he's just and he doesn't even want to make eye contact with her because he just feels shameful and stuff. And he's just like, like, what are we doing? And halfway through the scene, it's a great scene. One of the best scenes of the film, I think. And she says, and she knows what she's doing. Cause you can see the moment where she knows what she's doing. And that, I think that's when she brings up Walt, the son, Walter and mm -hmm. Oh, say hey to Walter. And she's just, I mean, she is this one. She is just mastery. Just like boom, 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 landing these body shots, defusing this situation. And he's like, well, you know, thank you. He, you know, I'll, I'll be sure to tell Walter that you said hello, that you said, Hey, and he's like, all right, come on boys. And so the lynch mob goes away empty handed. All be all because of that quick thinking scout. She humanized them. Yeah. I mean, when you're a mob, you are not the one responsible for the death, but then she put a name to a face and then it was like, Oh man! Yeah, because Atticus isn't going anywhere. So in order to get to this man, you got to go through me, who's a kid, who goes to school with your kid, and you got to go through the man who has done work for you when you know that you couldn't pay, and he's done a solid for you. Yeah. You're gonna do. You're gonna. That's who you're gonna be. And so he's like, "Oh man, she got me." Yes, yeah, she did. And then they clear out, and Tom calls out, Hey, Mr. Finch, are they gone? I'm, I'm not dying tonight. Okay, it's the next morning, and everybody's coming into town. Oh, man. They got, they got uh, blocks 
of ice on each of those the steps and stuff because I, I it was so hot that people go by and they just like chisel off a chunk of their own ice yeah uh, not very sanitary not at not even close and so the three children are there what do they do Oh, they, Let's go to the courthouse and see what's happening. Yeah, there. Jem was like, I can't take it anymore because, I mean, everyone was in town, and he was like, I'm not gonna be the one that is sitting out here. This is the biggest thing to happen in this town, and I'm supposed to just sit out here. Nothing happens in this town, you know? Yeah, seriously. Well, we're gonna go get an attire again. Come on, guys, we got it. The show's right here. So they go to the courthouse, and there were too many people of color to count. Well, they tried to get in, and they couldn't. It was packed. And then they happened to see the reverend, and the reverend was like, oh, yeah, come on, kids. And so they go upstairs because that's where the black people had to go. Right. Okay, so the trial starts. And um, the prosecution calls Hank. And Hank is talking about how Mr. Ewell said his girl was raped. And she said, yes, Tom beat her and raped her. But Hank's the sheriff. And then uh, Atticus asked Hank, did anybody call a doctor? No, uh, but she was, she was beat around the head. She had a black eye. So Atticus made a, a big deal about which eye was black. Was mm -hmm. it her left eye or her right eye? And then there were marks on her throat, that, and Atticus made a big deal about were the marks on just one side of her throat, or did the marks go all the way around her throat? And um, then Robert E. Lee Ewell was called oh, to testify. Oh, Lord. I didn't realize that was his full name. Robert E. Lee Ewell. <sighs> and that was May Ella's father. May Ella was the one who was raped. And he said he came home, May Ella was screaming, and I seen him with my mate Ella, and he run away just ahead of me. And I wrote, there was a whole lot of seersucker in that courtroom. So much seersucker. You would not be allowed in this courtroom without seersucker. So the, um, the prosecution is finished talking to him, so he gets up and he walks straight into Atticus. And uh, Atticus goes, uh, you mind sitting down for a couple of my questions? I got a cross-examination here, mm -hmm. Sheriff. He And Atticus goes, there was a lot of running. Did anybody run for a doctor? Oh, I was a zinger. And uh, Mr. Yule said she was mighty beat up. And so Atticus asked Mr. Yule to write his, his name. And well, it was he, obvious well, he was first he, first, he asked, do you know how to read or write? Because the Yules are poor. And so yeah. Yule was indignant. How dare you? I know how to read or write. So he said, write your name then. So he writes his name. And like Ma said, he's left-handed. And it had been already uh, stated in court, which I, she had blackened. And I forget which I it was. It was her, it was her, oh, see, I get It's whichever one, the, like, a, someone or, yeah, left-handed person would hit. So it was like her yeah. right eye, I think. Exactly. Yes. Yes. 
So a left-handed person, when they're connecting with your face, are going to be hitting your right eye. Yeah. Okay. And then Mr. Yule goes, you got to watch out for tricky lawyers. He's trying to pull a trick on us here. Then they call May Ella Violet Yule. And so she says she was sitting on the porch and Tom Robinson comes along. And she asked him to come in and break up a ship rope. A shiffer rope. Shift robe. Shift robe. What is is that like a shift um, robe? It's it's like a um, it's like one of those things that that it's like wood and you put, they will put their clothes in instead of like a, a closet, like a dresser only a yeah. hanging a hanging up dress. Yeah, and I think like it had drawers at the bottom and they could be you know pretty ornate or pretty simple. So I guess she wanted it broken up and she said she'd give him a nickel. Yeah, and she said. Yeah. She turned around, went into the house to get him his nickel, and he was on me, and he hit me again and again. And then she said the next thing she remembered, her papa was standing over her saying, who done it? Who done it? And so Atticus says, uh, is your father good to you? And she said, well, except when he's been drinking. And, and we know he's a drunk. I mean, he's we, always knew, drinking. we knew when he showed up to the Robinson place, that um, my dad motherfucker is the one who beat his daughter. You know, I don't know anything else, but I know that he is drunk and he beat his daughter. Yeah, and so he's going, did he ever beat you up? And she never answered that. And then Atticus goes, was this the first time you ever asked him to come inside the fence? And she's just, I just remember him beating me about my face. And I don't recall if he hit me, but he hit me three times. So she was, she, she was all over the place. Yeah, she was, she was a mess. At this point, Atticus takes a, a drinking glass and tosses it to Tom. And Tom catches it in his right hand. Mm -hmm. And um, he goes, oh, take, okay, Tom, now I'm going to throw one. I want you to catch it in your left hand. Tom goes, I can't, because when I was younger, I got it caught in a cotton gin, and it tore up all my muscles. I can't do anything with my left hand. <gasps> what? So how did he, this is a one-armed man. How did he rape this white woman? How did he hit her so that so that she had a right black eye? How did he have uh, like, strangle marks all, all the way around, around her, her throat? throat? Yeah. And, um, Mayella Violet Yule says, I don't know how he done it, but he done it. Um, and she goes, I got something to say and I ain't going to say no more. If you ain't going to do nothing about it, you cowards, you yellow stinking cowards. And she just collapses. She, she's saying to the, um, jury, if you're not going to do anything about it, well, there's nothing I can do, but she collapses. Yeah. At which point the prosecution rests. So they call Tom Robinson to the stand. Um, he's acquainted with Miss Yule because he passes by her place every day. It's the only way he can get to and from his work. And so one day he did break up the shift robe and I didn't chart I didn't chart or nothing. I just went home. And it was way last spring and I went in the fence lots of times because everything she had, every time I went by, she had something for me to do. And so I, I was going home and I passed her on the porch and she said, come help me 
Um, and he said he, he didn't see any kindling that needed help. And she says, come in the house. I got a door that needs fixing. So he went in the house and she shut the door. And he said, it was really quiet. And he said, where are all the children? And she said, I gave all the children um, money to go get ice cream. And it took her a year to save enough money for all the children to be able to go and get ice cream. So she wanted the house to herself on this day with Tom Robinson. He is and a he married said, man. Miss May Ella, Ella May, it May Ella, I best be going. I got uh, I can't do nothing for you here. And she says, wait a minute, get a box down from the top of that shift robe. <laughs> and, and Tom goes, she grabbed me around my legs and she turned the chair over and he was reluctant, reluctant to answer anything else. And he goes, Mr. Finch, she jumped on me. She hugged my waist. She kissed my face. Uh, did you kiss her back? And he said, no, I didn't kiss her back. I said, let me out. And then Mr. Yule saw this happening from the window and he started cussing at her from the window and said he was going to kill her. And he said, I got out of there. I ran so fast. I, I didn't look to see, but I know she was crying. So the prosecution gets up and they'll go, you're strong enough to choke a woman. Uh, looked like she didn't have, and, and Tom said, well, I did it. Um, and he goes, it looks like you're, uh, why did you do that? Why'd you do those nice things for her? And he said, well, it looked like she didn't have anybody to help her. So I kind of felt sorry for her. <gasps> At which point Atticus is like no you didn't just say that you cannot say that to this white jury you can't feel sorry for a white woman and so the prosecution goes you felt sorry for a white woman and Atticus looks very worried yeah that, that's something that hasn't aged well either that's not a good reheat because look at her yeah look at her life her yeah. father's a drunk I, yeah, I feel probably, bad for her. Yeah, yeah. Because he's probably had his way with her, too. Yeah, there's probably a whole lot of weird, nasty, crazy-ass shit. He's like, yeah, I feel sorry for that woman. And it's Alabama... Well, it's not just Alabama. America is so racist that you, a black man, feel sorry for a white woman? <laughs> yeah look at her look, that's her father right there guys that that guy right the town drunk everyone knows that like you none of you guys no one no one else feels sorry for this woman i'm the only one <laughs> well it's time for atticus atticus's summation oh this is one of the great scenes you know what in probably in cinema wouldn't you say yeah, but I have a little bit of trouble with his summation. Uh, why? I'll tell you. Okay. So he goes, this is a case that never should have come to trial. We have no medical evidence. The only evidence we have is circumstantial, and it's by these people. You know, the only people are the, the girl who's saying it happened and the father of the girl who's saying it happened. He was, uh, well, okay, he was beat with she was beat with from the left and tom's only good hand 
is his right hand. Um, he had nothing but pity. Oh, Atticus says, I have nothing but pity for May Ella. Uh, she's a victim of poverty and ignorance. Um, put her life at stake. Uh, and it was guilt that motivated her because she broke the code of society. So she needed to destroy the evidence of that offense. She needed to put Tom Robinson away from her, the white woman who, she, and she tempted, she was white and she tempted a Negro. She kissed a black man. Um, now the assumption that all Negroes lie, that can't be, that they can't be trusted. Well, that's a lie. It's unmitigated term, temerity to feel sorry yeah he had the unmitigated temerity to feel sorry for a white woman someone in this courtroom is guilty in our courts all are created equal review the evidence and restore this man to his family in the name of god do your duty believe tom robinson now this is what i okay so he brought up the left hand mm -hmm. right but he didn't he didn't bring up the throat, how it would take two hands to be able to strangle her like that. Oh. And I feel like that was the point on top of the point, you know? You feel like if he had said that. No, that that, no, okay. I don't. But I wanted him to use everything in his arsenal. And he didn't use that second. No, no matter what he said, it wasn't. Yeah. Yeah. Surprise, surprise. The jury comes back and he's guilty. Yeah. And I was like, huh. And I was thinking, I wasn't shocked, but I kind of was like, I don't, did I, I don't remember this. I don't know. For some reason, when I was watching it now, I was kind of like, I don't know. There was, the, I had, I had the two distinct thoughts in my head at the same time of, Oh, it's 1932 Alabama. Of course they right. would come back that he was guilty. And then also of when I watched this before, was I like, like what was my reaction to it? Cause I, I don't, re I didn't remember that about this movie is what I'm trying to say. You so badly wanted him to, to get off. Yes. And I don't know if I don't remember that because I'm like, yeah, it was Alabama. Yeah. Why would he have gotten off? That's just the way it is. So I don't know. Well, the jury's dismissed. Court's adjourned. Um, and all the, all the, the people judge, downstairs. The judge, because remember, the judge came to get Atticus. So the judge is a little bit, I think, disgusted. Because he leaves. Yeah, the judge was slams, obviously. He slams gone. the door. Wow. Okay. Yeah. You guys um, did it. I expected it. But really... I had hoped for better. Here's the thing that I don't think reheated well. When the when the verdict was read, there was nothing from like the courtroom was silent, wasn't it? Or were there cheers yeah. from the lower? Basically, the black people didn't react at all, which I just was like, well, what if they had reacted? What would have happened to them? They weren't allowed to react. Well, but see, that's kind of my problem in the reheat of this movie. And we'll get to it because there's another scene that illustrates it more of like the the duality of that. And I think 
Well, 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 I'll wait. I'll wait for later. Go ahead. Okay. Well, Atticus says he has to go. He he goes to see Tom, and he says, "I'm going to go see Ellen." But Tom, don't give up hope. We're gonna we're gonna appeal this. We're gonna appeal this. So Atticus is packing up, and and upstairs, the people of color have not moved. Mm-hmm. Um, and so. Um, Atticus turns around to start to walk out and all the black people stand up and Scout is still on the floor and the reverend goes down to her and goes, stand up, Miss Jean Louise, your father's passing. So they all stood up as a sign of respect for what Atticus had done. Yeah, that it's I understand what it's saying, but it doesn't it doesn't it doesn't sit. It's not a good repeat in the time in 1962. I'm like, oh, okay, I get it. But in 2018, no, because there was no reaction. So there was no react. It's the problem with it is that they're all of those black people up in there. All they are are props. Because they knew what it was going to be. I, I mean, they I, hoped, but they knew what. Yeah, was but gonna they're happen. still. But even when you know what something's going to be, they're still that was fucking bullshit. There's still a grumbling. There's not, there's no quiet and they take it. Like, yeah, they, you, they're, you know, they can't riot and they're not going straight out into the streets or anything. And there's, you know, like, I'm, that's it. You know, it's not the LA riots or anything, but there, it, it isn't silence. There's no silence. There's still attitude. There's still something that, there's still anger. All they did is it's a whole group of people and they like they stand up, you know, stand up because the white man's leaving and he he put up a gallant fight, but he lost. It doesn't age well. I understand from the context of like 1962 and it's a movie and stuff, but it it, it still it doesn't sit well in 2018. I feel like they I, I mean, that's what that's what people of color had to do they just had to swallow it they just had to go i'm not allowed to react because if i react um it's gonna be worse yeah if but i there's have any also... reaction at all then they're gonna say okay you guys can't come in the courtroom anymore because you cause a scene yeah even if they don't cause a scene and and that's true but there's also in play is what we're seeing how black people react and that this is this is a film it's nineteen six is made in nineteen sixty two. And so this this is a film showing the black man he just got convicted of rape for a crime that everyone in that courtroom knows he didn't do. The black people don't react because they're not allowed to react. Right. And so they don't. And that's something that is seen on films and that is a portrayal that gets out there. And that's and and it's not not everyone reacted the same way to that. There, yeah, there were people who they they were more. It became more tragedy because more people got lynched because they were like, you know what, fuck this. You guys know that that was wrong. And yeah, then they would get like beaten up, and there were consequences and stuff. But people didn't just take that shit. And there and in this movie, it just shows black people taking that shit. And it's not just this movie, but it's like a lot of movies. And okay. and then you kind of think of that and like, oh, and that's why everybody's talking about how representation matters. 
and I I don't know. It just kind of like it really it's it kind of hit home in seeing, um, and like watching Widows. Cause I just watched Widows, and you see Viola Davis, and she's married to Liam Neeson. Her hair is her natural hair, and she's in love with him, and he's in love with her. And you see that, and you're like, oh. And then yeah, I think back like. Oh, I just watched To Kill a Mockingbird. There's this travesty of injustice happened and there was nothing. There was no reaction because there was either they were so scared and felt that they shouldn't or that was a caveat to get the film made in the first place Mm -hmm. where it was like, you can't show that because I don't. And that kind of goes into the whole thing with like showing the, you know, um, the depiction of slavery and stuff and how you always see people like, oh, the black people, they were always slaves and that they didn't fight back. And that's not true. Right. Right. And so I just kind of think like this is a kind of an example. As good as this movie is at some things, it's really bad in other things of showing just like, oh, this is and they weren't allowed to deal with it at all. And there's another right. scene later on that I could call complete bullshit on. OK, well, let's get there. Yeah. So they're walking home and uh, Miss Miss Maudie from across the street, the single woman, comes out to console Attica. She's so sorry. And then a sheriff, the sheriff drives up in a car and talks to Atticus and Maudie talks to the kids. And she says, Jim, some men in this world are born to do unpleasant jobs for us. And your father just did one. So uh, Atticus comes back. Tom Robinson's dead. They were taking him to Abbotsville. Tom ran. And they shot to wound him, but they missed and they accidentally killed him. All right. When I saw this before and when I read the book before, I didn't think it. (laughs) I hate to admit it, but it's true. I didn't. I just thought like, yeah, you want to just read him and he ran. Now, I'm like, I watched it yesterday, and I said, that's fucking bullshit. They murdered Tom Robinson. The lynch mob finally got to him. Yep. Fuck this. What the? Ah! Yeah. And then, okay, so Atticus's reaction. Does he think that 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 was true and that Tom ran and that they shot him? and Or because he doesn't ask any other questions. Well, you don't know what he asked the sheriff. We didn't hear him interacting with the sheriff. But he told his family, I told him not to lose heart. I told him we had a good case for an appeal, that we had more than a good chance. Yeah, so they make it sound like Atticus believes what the sheriff has told him, that Tom Robinson ran away. Yeah, and and Atticus might. I, I now knowing what I know about Atticus Finch and seeing this movie now, I'm like, I, that's what he, Atticus, you idiot. They killed him. Yeah. But I don't think Atticus would see that. No. Atticus still has his rose colored glasses on. And thank goodness you didn't read the sequel. I read the, I read the plot summary. Well, we'll get so Atticus later. goes I have to go out and tell his family and Jim goes I'm going with you 
So they get out to the little shanty. Spence, Tom's father, is there, who I think was the man who was with Helen when um, Drunk Dude was there. Yeah, and it's not just him, though. A lot of people are there. Oh, there were, yeah. A, yeah, lot, a of people, lot of people. A whole lot of people. I Dare I may say it, but maybe the entire black community of Maycomb I would there. think the whole black community would have been there. I think yeah. so, too. All right. Continue. And, uh, and Helen runs out and hears that Tom is dead and she collapses. Well, Mr. Yule comes up again. Okay, I'm calling. This is the scene I'm calling bullshit on. Yeah, I'm. This I agree. Does not age well at all, and no, I it I've been thinking a lot about it because the first time I watched it, I'm pretty sure that I it didn't bother me as much as it does now. But, and I think I'm pretty sure that it did bother me then. Drunkle Yule comes up. The entire black community. Of the town is at this woman's house. They've just found out that Tom Robinson is dead, which they know he was killed. Like it, uh, he, it, right. there was no he was running away. But like you know, this isn't their first rodeo. This is 1932 Alabama. Like they don't know how this shit works. This drunk, poor ass motherfucker. He's not the sheriff. He's not a businessman. He's just, he's like, the only thing that he has is his racism. Because that's the only thing that he can lean on to think that he's better than somebody exactly. else. He comes up and there. He, said, he says to somebody on the porch, boy, go inside and tell Atticus Finch. I said, come out here. And no one says a word no one says a word yeah. when he walks up which i'm calling bullshit because even though it's 1932 alabama even though there are cons like it's just gonna be more tragedies go get more body bags start digging more holes because somebody is gonna say something somebody's right. gonna pop off at the mouth and be like get out of here you you know honky motherfucker like really there's, they're not going to just, they, in this movie, they don't say anything. He tells the boy, go get Atticus Finch. Doesn't say anything, goes in and gets him. I was like, this doesn't, this is not good at all. This is, I don't like that this is the, the representation that is like, well, this stuff happens. Yeah, we just take it. We just like. I'm pretty sure that the, the, this is, this is how it was in the book too. Yeah, and that's kind of a problem. Yeah, I know. You know, I mean, it's for, I'm not saying like, oh, we can't read it anymore, but it's it's just one of those things of like, because Atticus famously earlier tells Scout, you can't really know a man until you put them yourself in his shoes. By that token, you put yourself in the shoes of this community who has just had this blow. This man who was the, like, he was such a good man. He helped this white woman and didn't even get paid for it because he felt sorry for it. Because the whole black community feels sorry for that woman. Because, I mean, she's poor. Like, they they know who she is. And he gets, now he's dead because of it. He's innocent. He was accused of rape just because he was black. 
and trying to, to be nice. And the and then the drunk guy who's in charge of all this comes up and nobody says a word. And that's the and 1962. That's what gets shown out. Look at it. And so you think you either have two ways of looking at that. You have one. They were so scared in the 1930s that they couldn't say anything. And then it's like, it's a victim, you know, you're looking at them just like weak and pathetic and stuff because you couldn't show the truth, which right. is like somebody would have popped off and been like, get your motherfucking ass out of here. Get yeah. off my property. Like, you know, I mean, there was a, there was some tit for tat, but we mm -hmm. can't see that. Yeah, oh, and true. that is a, that's a. Like, that's pretty insidious. That's another form of racism, even as liberal and progressive as this movie is. The fact that that's, that look at the portrayal of the black people in this movie. That's America. Yeah. Well, Atticus does come out. And again, they have the staring contest. And then Ewell spits in Atticus's face. And um, Atticus just steps closer to him and they just stare at each other. Atticus wipes his face and he threw down his, his um, handkerchief on the ground. I thought, well, who's supposed to pick that up? Oh. And gets in the car and goes away. <laughs> I didn't even notice it because I was like, oh, this is, it's just funny how this is portrayed. So Atticus, the white lawyer. What do they always call that? Like the white savior? Is that like that thing? And so he's there and Ewell spits in his face. And you're like, oh, Atticus is going to deck him. And Atticus doesn't. And the music swells. And he puts his hand and Ewell and flinches and he gets his and he just, you know, and he doesn't fight back because he's turning the other cheek. And so his Atticus's, um, what is it? Restraint is noble. But I don't think that the black restraint is ever perceived as being noble. Mm -mm. It's, it's, yeah, it's, just it's, it's just subservient. It's inferior. And I was like, ah, oh, man. Oh, I don't like that. <laughs> yeah. Well, then we cut to it's an October evening. And Scout is walking alone. It's time for their Halloween. Um, they have this weird Halloween carnival thing where she yeah. had to dress up as a ham. They have to dress up as things that their county contributes, like produce they make or something. And she's a ham. And so Jim is going to escort her. And he's waiting outside the school for her to, to finish with her little presentation, being a ham. And, and everybody else has left, and Jim yells in, come on, Scout. Scout comes out still wearing the ham because somehow <laughs> her dress got lost. She lost her dress and her shoes. Isn't she barefoot? Yes, she is. <laughs> so he goes, okay, we'll walk home together. So they're walking through the woods. And Jim keeps hearing something. He keeps going, shh, because, of course, Scout is talking the whole time. And he thinks he hears something. They wake. They're quiet. They hear dogs barking. He says, I hear it when we walk, but when we stop, the sound stops. 
then Jem hears it now, then Jem's worried. All of a sudden, somebody throws Jem down. And he yells, run, Scout. Well, Scout's in this ham costume. <laughs> she can't it, see. She can't see. She only has a, a slit for her eyes. and But she sees Jem get thrown down. And she's trying to get the ham costume off. And um, somebody comes by and saves her. She sees shadows fighting. And you just see Scout's eyes out of the ham costume. And then she sees somebody carrying Jem. And so finally, you know, the action has died down. She's able to get out of this huge paper mache ham costume. And she sees a person taking Jem home. And Scout runs home. And Atticus runs out and Jem is on the bed. They call the sheriff. Cal go goes to get the doctor. And... Um, Atticus is upset. Somebody's been after my children. And then the doctor comes. Jim has a bad break and he's unconscious. And it's like somebody tried to wring his arm off. So the sheriff comes and says, well, we found Bob Ewell lying in the ground with a kitchen knife under his ribs. He's dead. Mm. But I'm not going to... Um, um, but he's not going to bother these children anymore. So Scout tells the story of what happened. I saw somebody carrying Jim. Um, wait, there he is behind the door. Hi, boo. And he smiles and it's Robert Duvall's moment. And they smile at each other. Scout puts her hand out to him and... Uh, she says, would you like to say goodnight to Jem, Mr. Arthur? Because his real name is Arthur. And Atticus says, I guess the thing to do, it's, I just, I can't remember if Jem is 12 or 13. So Atticus is is just discombobulated. Yeah. And um, the sheriff goes, hey, this is a clear-cut case of self-defense. Oh, well, because, no, yeah, Atticus says that, and the sheriff looks at him like, um, you think that Jem? killed you <laughs> and Atticus is like yeah and then they're like uh I don't think he yeah. did yeah. <laughs> yeah but and then the sheriff goes I think what happened was Bob Ewell fell on his own knife and killed himself mm -hmm. and um and the sh and it's it's the sheriff saying I don't think dragging him into this with his shy ways yeah getting him the limelight i think that that would just be a sin so in other words truth be told boo radley saved both children yeah boo radley came and because uh old racist motherfucker for some well he was drunk whatever he tried to attack the kids scout and gem and boo came into the forest and beat him up and stabbed him under the you know put a knife under his rib cage and so and then he carried uh jem home so the sheriff is just like man you know look at him he's boo radley like obviously he might not be the crazy mad dog but he 
is like a shy guy and if i tell you like what happened then all like my wife everyone's wives are gonna want to come bring him casseroles and say how much of a hero he is because everyone in the town even though they returned a guilty verdict everyone still knew that that guy beat his own uh kid and so they would look and think that he was a hero and he's like look at him he's shy he doesn't want that kind of attention it's just just let's just um he's like let's just you know it was an accident and then the sheriff is like unless you know you're mr lawyer fancy pants and you got to do everything by the book and then scout goes um i think mr tate was right it would be sort of like shooting a mockingbird wouldn't it the only thing he ever did was good so there's no reason to bring bring him into the and Atticus says thank you Arthur for my children and Scout walks Boo home yep and um, says just standing on the Radley porch was enough like um, so all of that all of that myth about the Radleys you know, Boo was a good guy after all. He was always looking out for the kids. Yeah. And that is the end of To Kill a Mockingbird. Yep. Um, I have trivia. Ooh. The six minute thirty second summation that that Gregory Peck did was all done in one take. Wow. First take, wasn't it? First take. He was just like, I'm going to nail this. Um, Tom Robinson, the uh, um, actor who portrayed him, Brock Peters, he gave Gregory Peck's eulogy when he died. Mm-hmm. Harper Lee gave Gregory Peck her father's watch because he reminded her so much of her father, who this was based on. Gregory Peck got the award, the Academy Award. Scout married a school teacher and lives in Richmond, Virginia. In Richmond? Richmond, Virginia. Hmm. Jem didn't even want to audition for the role, but he found out he could get out of school for a half day, so he went and auditioned. He was so good. Dill Dil, Dil was based on Truman Capote. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, Gregory Peck's grandson was named after Harper Lee. And Rock Hudson, Spencer Tracy, and James Stewart were all considered to play the part of Atticus. Oh, interesting. Rock Hudson. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of out of his wheelhouse. Mm-hmm. That's what I have. What do you have? Um, let's see. So on AFI's list, it's number 34. Yeah, Atticus, it's on every list of movies yeah. you have to see. Atticus Finch is number one hero in AFI's 100 Heroes, 100 Villains. Don't ever read the sequel. Which, well, you know what, Ma? It's not a sequel. Uh, it's not. It's not. It was the, it was, that was the original manuscript that Harper Lee turned in to be read. And the the editor, Tay something, she then worked with her, and they what they did is they whittled it down, and then it became to go set a watchman became to kill a mockingbird, 
Uh, it wasn't a sequel. It was the first thing that she wrote, and the editor was like, ah, I, I, you're a good writer. There's a story here. And then they whittled it down. So that yeah. whole thing is the first draft. Okay. Yeah, it was quite disappointing. Yeah, because it was the first draft. It should, and it's very shady. It never should have been published. She didn't want it published. She didn't want it published. Her sister was like her gatekeeper because by in the latter parts of her years, she was blind and deaf. And her sister, everything went through her sister. And then when her sister died, like three months after her sister died, the woman that had the manu that somehow got the manuscript, I forget who she was, if she was like one of the first lawyers or somebody, when the sister died, that's when it went and went to the publisher. Right. And it never should have been. Yeah. And and it was it was a it's not a sequel it wasn't it was the she's like oh I found the manuscript and everybody who reads it is like that's the manu that was the first draft it's a first draft. Okay, thank you for clarifying. That. Mm -hmm. Um, let's see. It was nominated for I think eight Academy Awards. So it was nominated for Best Picture, Best Director, Best Cinematography, Best Supporting Role, Mary Badham, Best Music. Um, I think it lost out a lot to Lawrence of Arabia. But wait, it also lost out to... And Patty Duke won Best yes. Supporting Actress. Yeah, because Scout would have been the youngest Academy Award winner if she'd won Supporting Actress. Patty Duke won it, but Patty Duke was older than Scout when mm -hmm. this movie was made. But Gregory Peck won it, won Best Actor. Horton Foote won Best Adapted Screenplay, and it got the Academy Award for Best Art Direction. Um, let's, let's see. Oh, the screenwriter Horton Foote was the voice of Jefferson Davis in the Ken Burns' The Civil War. Oh. Which I remember you guys watching that. So I'm like, oh, Jefferson Davis. That was him. Um... Robert Mulligan, <coughs> the director, is the older brother of Richard Mulligan, who I know from Empty Nest. Remember that show? Very, very vaguely. He had the white hair. It came on after yes, Golden Girls. Yes, Richard Mulligan. Yes. He was on soap. Well, yeah, that, I guess that's how you would know him. Yes. And one of my favorite stories, <laughs> so the woman who played Mayella, she went to an NAACP conference in Monterey, California, and she wow. got <laughs> she got a lot of unfriendly looks <laughs> when she showed up. Yeah. And she was just like, man, everyone is mad-dogging me. And finally, someone had to stand up and be like, guys. She's an actress. That was the role she played. She supports our cause. That's why she's here. That was a role. She's not really the white woman who got the black guy killed. Wow. And everybody was like, oh, that's right. But like, I just see you. And I'm just I like. I know. You see it. You just go, <laughs> you were so wrong. You should have told the truth. Like, this lying bitch has the audacity to come to up to here. That's funny. So, yeah, she was like, no, I, I support, like, I'm down with the cause. No, <laughs> that was just a role. I was acting. I was really good, apparently. <laughs> you all believed me. 
Mm-hmm. So. I don't really have anything else. Well, I liked it. And then, what was it that we watched? And uh, just recently, and the, um, it was a black late female attorney, and she tried to, she tried to do right. And then when she turned around and walked out of the courtroom, people stood up for her. Was that how to get away with murder? No, it wasn't how to get away with murder. It was one of those, um, I can't think of it. Oh, it was that Netflix show, Eight Seconds. Eight Seconds, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Because I like that. I forgot about it. Well, the whole thing, like, Roger Ebert had a really good film review. I suggest going to reading it from 2001. Oh, really? Yeah, so he, in his, basically, he's saying how the movie and the book are told from a child's point of view. And so that's why you kind of get the simplicity of, you know, the race and stuff and why the whole story. Because when I'm sitting there watching it now, I'm like, man, I kind of thought that the whole story was about Tom Robinson. And then when Tom Robinson gets dispatched, I'm like, there's still more to this movie? I know, I was surprised. I looked at the time and I went, there's a lot more time. Yeah. Deal. And then, yeah. like, the payoff is like, ooh, Boo Radley is, isn't really scary. And I'm like, what about Tom Robinson? <laughs> the whole time, like, the payoff and how, like, oh, he saved us and stuff. I'm like, yeah, but let, let's go back to the Robinsons. Like, <laughs> guys. Let's go back to the true injustice. Yeah, what the heck? So it, it was just about kind of that and how the movie is, the movie is a time capsule, essentially. And that you kind of have to look at it as a time capsule. And it's sort of best viewed, you know, looking at it from her point of view and how there are kind of some issues with it in that when the point of view shifts, because, you know, Scout didn't go with Atticus to tell the wife, you know, that Tom Robinson was dead. So that's kind of, you know, kind of put into those situations it's kind of I was like oh yeah that's yeah that's kind of how I felt about it but how it, it is great it's just very well made and stuff and it is it is 1962 so it is just kind of interesting but I was more interested because you just put on the the top level you know you have this it was an atro- you know a travesty of justice and stuff but I was more kind of like just digging more at the more insidiousness of how like the depictions mm-hmm. of people were and stuff. I'm like, oh man, that that just goes deep. Yeah, because that's that does, that also even as as much good that you think the movie is and it makes people feel good. It's like that that's tough because that's also going out there for people to look. Oh, they just they just took it. <laughs> yeah, look at them just taking that injustice. And I'm like, no, more people got killed. Why do you think there were so many people who got lynched? <laughs> like, nobody was just, I'm just going to take it. So, it's interesting. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Mm-hmm. So, um, listeners, we're sorry we weren't here last week. We had some family things that came up. And now we are Thursday's Thanksgiving. Oh, so it's time for us to start 
In the holiday spirit. Holiday movies. So next week, what will it be? Next week, we are going to 1940. Now, when you watch this movie, you may think, hmm, this movie seems a bit familiar. It feels like a movie with with Meg Ryan and Tom Hanks reuniting from their Sleepless in Seattle success. Hmm. But it's not. It's the original that that movie was based on. It's 1940s, The Shop Around the Corner with Jimmy the Stewart. Shop Around the Corner. Because we are the ORG. We do the original. Boom. That's right. Do we do we guess who's in it? Well, I I just know that Jimmy Stewart's in it. Oh okay. I don't I don't know the, the dame because there was uh I kind of just pulled it out of my butt. Honestly. She did because we decided we were gonna start holiday movies before we started this podcast. This podcast. This podcast. Yeah. And I was like, oh. This fun podcast. Podcast. Margaret Sullivan. Okay. Oh, it's written. It was uh, directed and produced by Ernest Liptich. Oh, good old Liptich. Mm-hmm. No, he's he's renowned. Yeah, look it up. The Liptich touch. Ah. Mm-hmm. All righty then. Well. We are here to welcome the holidays with the shop around the corner. Mm-hmm. Okay, listeners, see you then. <gasps> Bye-bye. Bye-bye.